Thank you for that reminder. For him and through him, all things were made, and he deserves, of course, to have the first place in all things. So thank you for that reminder. Every inch of creation belongs to him. And so uh, we want to give not just the stuff out there to him. We want to give the stuff that's in here to him today. That, that's our goal, that, that we would allow our minds, our hearts to be formed uh, and molded by his word. And so we spend a good portion of our worship service every, together, every week together just opening up God's word. And my goal is not to advance in any way what, what I think is right, because then we'd be messed up as a people. Uh, I want to I want to try and uh, expose what it is God's Word is teaching us, and I pray that by His Holy Spirit that that would happen. Let's just do that. Let's pray. God, I pray that that would happen, that today, for, for Your name's sake, that we would give ourselves fully and totally to You, um, that over these next 35 minutes or whatever that we spend in your word, um, that you would use this time to shape us and mold us. God, give me wisdom. Uh, give give the people out here wisdom to discern um, what it is that, that I'm saying that might be true and helpful and what I'm saying that, that might not be helpful in some way. And God, I pray that my words would be true and that they would be honoring to you. We thank you for your word, which is always true. In Jesus' name, amen couple of announcements I forgot uh, to, to give. Uh, those are just opportunities to get together with our larger community uh, this week. Uh, thankful to live in a place where we have such freedom, we can do so many different things. Uh, and, and one of those freedoms is we can gather together, not just in our own little building, we can gather together wherever. And so there is plan for Wednesday night. We are not going to have a one or anything like that. A, a pretty major Christian concert coming to Iowa Falls, especially for a town the size of Iowa Falls. Most other towns this size would not get a concert this big. But uh, John Bauer, uh, Sanctus Real, and Francesca Battistelli will be here on Wednesday. And so a lot of work has gone into making sure, and a lot of money has gone into too, making sure that, that these people could come and minister to our community. be a great event for you to invite other people to from outside our church, this, uh, now, it's supposed to take place at Estes Park, but if you look at your weather forecast, there's a good chance that the worst day of weather this week would be Wednesday, um, which is the day that that concert is going to take place, and so the rain location uh, is at the high school, and so that, that concert will take place either at either of those places, and what a gift to have freedom to go either to Estes Park right here in town or to our high school and hear the message of the gospel proclaimed through music. And so take advantage of that. Bring some other people with you. Um, but that's this Wednesday, and it starts at 6 o'clock. Uh, that means there is no Awana here on Wednesday night. So just a reminder about that. Uh, I think there might have been something else. Um, yeah, uh, men's breakfast on Saturday, uh, this coming Saturday at 7 o'clock. We usually do that on the first Saturday of the month, and it will be October already on Saturday. So we'll gather together and just eat, have some fellowship here, hear a bit from somebody, and pray together. So, so that's the plan for men, six, uh, 7 o'clock on Saturday morning. Uh, thank you to all of you who participated and supported those who participated last week as we joined with River's Edge and playing some softball on Sunday afternoon. God provided a beautiful day, and we stunk it up pretty good and lost both of our games, which is great. Uh, but we enjoyed doing it and being together. And so... Uh, so thanks for everybody who participated in that. We are going to be today in 
in uh, Mark chapter 12, and if I even just say, hey, let's talk about religion and politics, I mean, like, ooh, uh, how about let's not? (laughs) Some people think right away, like, wow, those are two things that they often say, if you want to get a heated discussion going, then let's talk about religion or politics. And today we're really talking about both. So there's a a lot of uh, opportunity for, for maybe even controversy when these two things are brought up. That's why people say, hey, these are two things that are off limits. We can talk about anything you want at this gathering, but we're not talking about those two things. Well, today uh, we're talking about those two things. And so I'm looking forward to this opportunity um, because, uh, again, what we're doing, we're just going through the gospel of Mark wherever God takes us as we go through the gospel. That's where we're going. And so here we are today in Mark 12, 13 to 17. I want you to think about When was the last time you heard a sermon about politics and government? And you might think, well, okay, so I'm thinking back to this pattern. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's been quite a while. But I would submit to you that it's probably a lot more recently than you think because you hear sermons about politics and government all the time. A lot of times they're not from pastors. Most of the time, if you watch the news, you are hearing a sermon about politics and government, correct? If you listen to AM radio, you hear sermons about politics and government. If you read things on the internet, you hear sermons about politics and government. More than likely, what most of us do is we try and find those that we most generally agree with already, and we choose to listen to them. And we'll give them a good amount of our time, sometimes a good amount of our time every day, to just say, here, preach to me, tell me what I ought to believe about government and this world that we live in, and then we allow our worldview to be shaped by that. My goal this morning is that we would spend about 35 minutes trying to understand what Jesus says about religion and politics, about God and government, about church and state. My sermon today about Jesus and taxes because uh, and politics and stuff, it might offend somebody at some point because that's just, again, what happens when you talk about these things. That's not my goal. My goal is that we would in the end, have a more biblical perspective on these things that are really quite important. And so that's why we're going to open up God's Word. Um, Some of you might think, well, he's not going to offend me today because I don't care at all about politics and government and current I don't care about that stuff. Well, I might offend you today as well by letting you know that you ought to care about those things a bit. This is important. And so uh, we are going to open up to Mark chapter 12. If you have your Bible, you can open up there. Some of you already are coming into this, again, with some strong political opinions. Um, How many of you live with somebody? I'm not going to have... How many of you live with somebody you'd say they have strong political opinions? Like, that comes up quite frequently at our house. They yell at the TV every once in a while. Uh, You know, things like that, okay? So understanding that, and so recognizing also that we are so blessed to live in a country in which we can have input into those that govern us and how they govern us. Isn't that a gift? Um, It really is. And it's something that we want to, I think we ought to want to, as Christians, steward that opportunity well. That, That we ought to steward that opportunity well. That we ought to be informed and involved in government at a lot of different levels as Christians. But we also recognize that our ultimate authority is here. It's in It's in God's Word, that we see God's Word as authoritative over all of life. And so, we want our political ideologies to be based more on what this has to say than on anything else. And so, we're in Mark chapter 12. Here's where we've been. A little bit of context. Um, Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, 
religious leaders in that day have been trying to trap Jesus because their thing is they feel threatened by Jesus and they would like to see Jesus destroyed in some way. The reason that the thing that's kind of holding them back is that Jesus right now is very popular among the people. And so they're trying a number of different methods by which to trap or trick Jesus so that people would turn against him. And so we are going to be introduced to uh, some, some people that, again, we've seen them before. We're going to see them teaming up with a common goal. And so if you could, please stand as we look at Mark chapter 12, short passage today, just verses 13 to 17. God's word says this. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees, some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know you and do not care about anything, for you are weighed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. You can be seated. So we're just going to walk through this verse by verse. We're going to spend almost all of our time in verse 17. And then we're also going to be flipping today to a couple of other spots in Scripture, especially Romans chapter 13. So, Jesus on taxes and starting in verse 13, we have, it says this. They sent to him, there's two groups of people. Do you notice this? The questioners are this. Some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Okay, now these are two groups of people who would disagree on a lot of things. But we were introduced to both of them kind of teaming up way back in Mark chapter 3, verse 6. We saw that these two had this unlikely pairing, that these two groups of people that would disagree on so much were coming together. Pharisees' main concern was about religion, and Herodians would have been mainly concerned about the government. So they've kind of both got different agendas, and they're coming together, and they have a goal. Look at what their goal is, according to verse 13. Their goal? To trap him in his talk. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to give him a question by which anything he answered would be like a no-win situation for him. Like there's no right way to answer this question and, and not get in trouble. That's what their goal was. They are setting up a dilemma for him. Again, they weren't interested so much that... They really wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And so here's what they do. Verse 14, if you notice verse 14, they actually said stuff that's true. But they didn't really believe it. At the beginning of verse 14, they're just trying to flatter Jesus. They say, oh, teacher, we know that you're true and don't care about anyone's opinion. You are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. They're trying to stir Jesus up before they ask him the question. And then they eventually get to asking him, the question. And the question is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now here's the trap. Remember they said they were doing this to trap him. So here's the trap. If Jesus answers the question, yes, it is lawful to pay your taxes, now go and pay your taxes. He's going to lose some credibility with the people who don't like paying taxes to Rome because they don't like Rome. 
And so Jesus is going to lose credibility amongst the Jewish people, amongst whom he right now has great popularity. If he says, no, don't pay your taxes, then who's going to be mad? Rome, right? So, so they're trying to set up this no-win situation for Jesus, that whatever answer that he gives, somebody's going to be upset, and he's going to get in trouble in some way. So it's a question about taxes specifically, but generally it is a question about allegiance. It's a question about politics. It's saying, Jesus, what are you going to do about the fact that you, you claim this authority, but also Rome is claiming authority, so which one do you submit yourself to? It's a question about allegiance. And so Jesus is going to share his wisdom on taxes and politics. Look at quickly at verses 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16. In verse 15 it says this, But knowing their hypocrisy, okay, Jesus sees through their flattery, he knows their hearts. They're just trying to butter him up. He sees that, and he says to them, why put me to the test? And then listen to what he does. He says, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And then verse 16 says, and they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Okay, yeah, okay, so up there, uh, you see a picture of what this denarius, when they said, when Jesus said, bring me a denarius, which was worth about a day's wage, so if you're thinking kind of, oh, I don't know what a day's wage is for you, but it's a decent amount, um, and, and he's saying, bring that to me, and so they bring it to him, and on the head's side of that coin, of the denarius, is a picture, an image of Caesar, okay, and then there are some Latin words, and it's, and it's shorthand, it's abbreviated, but it, in its full text, it would read this. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Okay? And on the tail side, it would have the words high priest. Okay? So, you can imagine as a Jewish person living under Roman rule who believes that there is one God and only one God, for them to have to use this money and pay taxes to this government on which it is printed on their money that something about the divine Augustus and something about high priest, this would be just blasphemy for a Jewish person. They, they were not at all impressed with the denarius, very upset about it. It reminded the Jewish people of this fact that this land really was not their land, right? That this land had been taken over by other people. They were under the authority of the Roman Empire. And so when Jesus says, whose image and whose inscription or whose likeness and whose inscription is on this, I'm guessing when they answered Caesar, it was kind of like, Caesar. You know, kind of like that. Like, they were not happy. Like, oh, well, that's Caesar. Like, we like him. That was not their answer. Their answer is Caesar. That's who's on there. Okay? So this is where the people are at. And then we get to verse 17, which is a verse that's filled with truth that helps us to gain, hopefully, a biblical perspective on the intersection of, of religion and politics, God and government, church and state. One verse, Mark chapter 12, verse 17. And what I'm going to kind of go through is what it, what it looks like for a Christian, what kind of posture should a Christian have towards God and government. Verse 17, Jesus says this, And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that that are God's. Okay? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God 
the things that are God's. So the first thing, I'm going to say really two main things that I think we can get from this, that this is what a Christian posture toward God and government ought to look like. One is this, that we ought to, as Christians, be good citizens. Okay? That we ought to be good citizens. And how does that look? We get some of that from Mark 12 here, and some of that from Romans chapter 13 and other passages. So, keep your hand in Mark chapter 12. Well, actually, let's look at 12, Mark 12, verse 17, where it says, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He's making a more general statement, but their specific question was about taxes. Should we pay our taxes? And by Jesus saying, well, whose image and likeness is on that? They say Caesar. And he says, well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's Jesus saying, listen, pay your taxes. Okay? I'm not saying you've got to agree with what's on the coin, but pay your taxes. Okay? Now, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 13. We'll come back to Mark in just a little bit, but we're going to spend some time in Romans. And in Romans chapter 13, now remember, the, the government at the time is the government of Rome, and this book is called Romans. Okay? This is Paul's letter to the Romans. Okay? Now, look at Romans chapter 13. I want you to look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this, For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. Okay, so very simply, one of the ways in which we as Christians ought to be good citizens is that we pay our taxes. Okay, cheating on your taxes because the IRS will probably never find out way, is sinful. We ought to, as Christians, pay our taxes. Okay? That's what we get here in, in Romans 13, 6 and 7. But then there's also some other things that we see here in the book of Romans chapter 13. It also says that we ought to, we owe more than just taxes to our government, according to Romans 13. We owe them more than just taxes. Romans 13, start in verse 2. We'll get back to verse 1 in a little bit. Verse 2 says this, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Skip ahead to verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. One of the things that we obey, that, that we owe to our government, is our obedience. The laws that have been established by our human government are laws that we ought to, as Christians, follow. Okay? Generally, as our government gives laws, we are to be good citizens and follow and give obedience to the government that God has put in authority over us. Okay? And there is a whole system, a really pretty good system, set up in our country. Those who break laws will be prosecuted. Okay? So we ought to be people that are obedient to the laws of our nation, whatever nation it is that we happen to live in. But then also look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this, not just taxes, but it says, Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So in addition to owing taxes, we also owe obedience and respect and honor to those that God has put in authority over us. In our Part of being a good citizen is not just paying your taxes, but it's also paying honor and respect and obedience to the government. 
that is over us, that God has established. That's what it says in verse 1. We'll get back to that in a little bit. You can keep your finger there if you want and flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to come back to both Mark 12 and Romans 13. But I want to look over quickly. We're thinking about what do we owe our government. And in our case, our government is, is certainly um, led by people. So this is, this is not just government, this, this big thing out here. It is real people. And here's what it says in chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Okay? So he says, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, that's coming before our God in prayer, be offered and be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. We ought to be prayerful. We ought to do that regularly, to, to pray for those who are governing us at every level, at national level, at our local level, globally, that we pray for those that are leading us. We come before God with prayer. And then also, did you notice, thanksgivings. And we come before God with thanks. You know how easy it is? When we're talking about government, we're talking about anything, politics, whatever, taxes, that our first response most often is to grumble and complain as opposed to pray, give thanks for, right? But we ought to just pause, and I want to do that now, to just pause and, and be thankful for God's provision of government over us. We ought to be grateful for those who promote justice, give us protection, whether it's in the armed forces or law enforcement or in the judicial system. We're grateful for those who commit themselves to the good, not just of our own children in many cases, but, but many other children by serving in our public school system. We've got many in our, in our church body that teach, others that serve in other ways in our school system, employees of our government. We have those who work for the city so that we can drink clean water and travel easily from place to place and all sorts of other things. We've got people serving in the military, all sorts of different things that, that allow us to live life like we live it, and we ought to be a bit more thankful and a bit more prayerful more often. And so for those of you who have served in the military or are serving in the military in some form, those of you who are government employees in some form or another, just hear that from us. To what God says here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in Romans 13, we want to give you our respect, our honor. We want to give you our thanks. And we want to pray for you. Let's actually do, let's just do that right now. Um, well, how about how about those of you that that are serving in some serving in, in our in our government in some way? Now I'm looking around and like. A lot of those people that are doing that are gone today. But there are some of you that are here. If you're serving in one of those areas that I mentioned, um, would you just stand so we can just quickly pray for you? Those that are servants, uh, public servants, uh, working in our government for, yeah, let's pray. God, I, I thank you for these servants of yours and many in our church body who are not here as well today. God, we pray. Um, one of the things we just pray for and help us to be more diligent in praying for them, is we pray for their protection. Uh, the, the way that, that in many cases they are putting themselves 
in danger uh, for our protection. And so, God, we pray that you would provide protection for them. Thinking of Dave, who's standing up, uh, working as a state patrolman. All the situations that are potentially dangerous, God, I pray that you would give him protection. I'm thankful for his work. And to think of all those that are working in the school system, all those that are pouring themselves out uh, for the good of our community by bringing us really um, some, some good education in many ways and supporting those who are doing that. God, I pray that you would give them great wisdom as they teach and lead and serve and support. God, I thank you for, for Randy as he serves um, as county attorney and for the work that he does. God, we have, we have other people, serve, people serving in the military, people teaching in schools, so many other people here in our body. We're so thankful for the work that they do that we benefit from and, and so often are thankless about. So God, help us to be people that are obedient to you by honoring and respecting and praying for and giving you thanks for those that are serving us in that way. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. So we ought to do that. We ought to do that more often. Now, of course, uh, when you're talking about government, um, there's always things that they are doing that are like, oh, I just I disagree with that. And again, so grateful to live in a place where we have the opportunity to voice that and do something about that. We can, we can inform ourselves as citizens. We can vote. All sorts of other things. But as we think about, well, what if the government's doing what we think it shouldn't be doing? Well, what is the Roman government like? What was the Roman government like when, when Jesus was saying this, when Paul was saying this, when, when Paul was saying it to T Timothy and to the Romans? What was that government like? We need to keep in mind that he's speaking about the government that had already killed a number of Jewish people. He's speaking about the government that was practicing taxation without representation. He's speaking about the government that would soon be putting Jesus to death. He's talking about the government that would topple the temple. He's talking about the government that would kill some of the apostles. And he's saying, look at Romans chapter 13, verse 1. I said we'd get to this. Romans 13, verse 1 says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Recognizing whatever we think of our own government, Wherever we live, Rome was probably worse. And the, the command from God is be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We, we ways that we don't even know from government. If we didn't have any kind of form of human government, we are not, we're too evil and deceitful to live in an anarchy, correct? I mean, it would be a mess. Um, so we're very thankful for the way in which God has ordained government in some ways to restrain evil for the good of all people. We're grateful for it. So when Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, he's saying pay your taxes, uh, all these other things that we see in, in, in Romans about honoring, respecting, obeying, praying for, giving thanks for. But then, another question I think is a good question to ask is, is it okay to love both our country and God at the same time? Is it okay for us to pledge allegiance to our country, whatever country that is, and to God at the same time? Is it possible to be a patriotic Christian? I think the answer is yes. I think it's possible because it is possible for us to have responsibility to and submission to both a greater authority and a lesser authority at the same time. Let me illustrate that for you. 
Okay? Um, on Friday night, we had our life group. And while we were at our life group, Delaney McKibben came and watched our kids. When, when our kids have a babysitter, we let them know, okay, now when Delaney comes or whoever it is, we want you to obey whatever it is. Just like when, when mommy and daddy are home and you obey them, we want you to obey the babysitter. Now, does Delaney have the same authority that we have as parents, as a babysitter? No, but for a period of time, we entrust authority to her, kind of standing in in our place. Not totally standing in our place, but for a period of time, we're saying, here, you have some authority, and telling our kids, listen, you need to submit to that. Now, of course, there's limits to that. There are times where, where if they have to choose between obeying something that mom and dad says, if it's in conflict with what a babysitter says, we want them to obey what we say, correct? So eight are in conflict, and we have to choose which one to obey, then we're going to choose to obey parents over our babysitter, or we're going to choose to obey God over our government. So in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are told, hey, listen, you can't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Do you remember what they say? In Acts chapter 4, they say, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of that which we have seen and heard. They're like, hey, we got to choose? You're saying we got to choose between obeying you or obeying God? We're obeying God. He gets first dibs all the time. My aunts like to tell this story of how one time when they were babysitting me, I was just a little guy and I woke up from a nap and as aunts or grandparents or whatever often try to do, they wanted to give me like a really good snack. I don't know if it was a candy bar or something like that. They wanted to feed me really good stuff for a snack while they were babysitting me. And they laugh at me still because when I woke up and they offered me that, I let them know that my mom and dad wouldn't like that. They like us to eat more healthy things like raisins and crackers or whatever. Like... (laughs) Why would you do that? We offered you a candy bar, right? But even at a young age, I was recognizing, okay, they're in authority over me right now, but ultimately I want to first obey my parents. They're, 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 they're a greater authority, and so I'm going to submit myself to them. But can we submit ourselves to kind of two authorities at the same time? I think yes. One being greater and one being lesser. I want you to turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17 kind of looking at this question, is it possible to be a patriotic Christian? Answer being, yeah, I think so. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13, says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So we, we have these commands really to do both, that we ought to fear and worship and obey God, and at the same time honor the emperor. Okay? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So, of course, I think we can love both our country and our God. We can submit ourselves both to our country and to our God. It's possible to be a patriotic Christian. It's also possible to be a patriotic idolater. Okay, That is possible as well. You can be patriotic and you can elevate your country, whatever country that is, to the spot of God in your life. Right? And people do that in our country and in other countries. But it is possible to be a patriotic Christian. 
But we need to remember as we say this, when I'm talking patriotic, not, I mean, if we're Americans, then, then we're patriotic as Americans. But we need to recognize that not all Christians are Americans and not all Americans are Christians, right? We, we recognize that. And so the elders and saints that are currently right now bowing before the throne of King Jesus are not wearing red, white, and blue. Because God is ransoming a people, it says in Revelation 5, 9. He's ransoming a people for himself from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. So we are a part of a, a global family, brothers and sisters in Christ from every tongue and tribe and nation. And to some degree, whether we're in the United States or Nigeria or the Czech Republic or Romania or Haiti or Iraq, wherever we're at, we're strangers and aliens in this world that we just don't feel like we totally fit in anywhere where we're at. Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the thing that are God's. One other quick reminder, that is that government and God are not the same thing. <laughs> uh, when, when it says in, in, in Mark 12, 17, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, there's this separation there. There's saying, well, this is Caesar's, this is, this is God's. One of the reasons um, is, is that um, we know that God never gets anything wrong. Government sometimes gets stuff wrong, <laughs> Right? Uh, and so, so we can trust one uh, certainly more than the other. So it's good to live in a place where we have a government with checks and balances. But, but there has to be some level of there's a separation. God and government, right, of church and state, of religion and politics. And so Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Government and God are not the same thing. Part of the reason that we're called the Evangelical Free Church of America is we came from a place, uh, most of us, most of the church kind of began uh, with immigrants from Scandinavian countries in which they had to be a part of the state church. So the state governed over the affairs of the church, and they didn't want that anymore. And so as they established churches here in the United States, they wanted to be free churches, not state churches. So that's why we even have, maybe you didn't know, that's why we have Evangelical Free Church in our name. So, uh, yeah, that's just a little uh, bonus history lesson for you in that. But I want to turn to I want to turn to the last point, and that is this, that God deserves more than our government. One way that we can have a Christian posture toward God and government is that we need to learn to be good citizens. But we also need to recognize that God deserves more than our government. If we owe our imperfect government taxes, honor, respect, obedience, thanksgiving, how much more do we owe our perfect and holy God, our finances, our obedience, our honor, our respect, our thanksgiving? We never pledge absolute allegiance to any country, but we do pledge absolute allegiance to God. Sure, we give the government what it deserves give the government taxes and honor and respect. We pray for those in our government. Even if we're not in total agreement with how those taxes might be used, we can talk about it, we can vote, we can lobby, we can write letters. We ought to do all these things to be involved. So we have that opportunity, and we want to be good stewards of that. But in the end, God deserves and demands more than our government. We give to God what he deserves. Remember in verse 16, in verse 16, go ahead and look at Mark 12:16. Here's what that says again. In Mark 12:16 it says, 
And they brought one, speaking of a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? He holds up this coin and he says, look at this image. Whose likeness or image is on here? That word that's used there is the same word that's used back in Genesis 1 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And it is when it says that God made us in His image and in His likeness. It's the same word that's used there. And so when Jesus in verse 16 is holding up this denarius and saying, whose image is this? Whose image is stamped on this? And they say Caesar. He says, well, then give it to Caesar. Right? But then the question is, when he says, give to God that which is God's, what image is stamped on us? What inscription is on us? This is the very image of God himself. And so we ought to render to God that which is God's, and we are his. Pay your taxes to the government. That's fine. But give yourselves to, to God. He deserves more than our government. He has stamped his image on us to, to mark us as his. Romans chapter 12. We were in Romans 13 a little earlier. But in Romans chapter 12, it says this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says this. So, so he's saying, listen, here's what you ought to give to God. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice, your whole self. God deserves all of you. And here's one way that it looks. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what does that practically look like when it comes to politics, government? I think one thing that it means is that we ought to be careful that our worldview is shaped more by the Word of God than it is by our favorite political commentators. Okay, We ought to be sure that our worldview is shaped more by God's Word than it is by our favorite political commentators. So while many of you might be skeptical of, and, and probably rightly so, of many of the things that you hear coming at you in the media, that we don't have to be at all skeptical of what we hear coming at us from God's Word. Even your favorite news station does not claim and cannot claim that their news is breathed out to you by God, right? But God's Word can claim that, that every word is true. When we easily give up an hour or more of our day to hear commentary on current events from the news on TV, favorite radio talk show host, your favorite author, but then we limit our time in God's Word to a very, very short amount of time. A lot of times, those that are saying, yeah, I just don't have time to study God's Word are the same ones that are spending a good chunk of their day listening to the news and political commentary on it. So we ought to be careful that we don't just, you know, pick up our daily bread and, and do a quick scan of the, the, the tiny little page and, and read the eight verses really quick and then go spend a half hour or more just hearing a lot of other stuff, a lot of other sermons that are coming from other sources. Giving ourselves to God and not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds, m requires us to have some daily, diligent, passionate, disciplined study of God's Word. 
That's what we need. If we want to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind, we need to be spending time in God's Word, letting that mold and shape the way we think about everything. So what happens when we spend more time thinking about other things and we let our minds be conformed by this world, listening to the news more than we listen to God's Word? One thing that happens is we get more upset about the ridiculous policies of those in the other political party than we do about the sin that we see in our culture, in our church, and in our own hearts. That we'll just, we'll just rant and get mad and let our blood pressure go up because those other guys did this again. But we've got sin going on in our own hearts, in our own culture, in our own church, and we just, we're not even bothered by that nearly as much as we are by a bad policy. When we spend more time thinking about all that than we do about God's Word, we get more concerned with convincing others that our views on how to fix the economy are more important than convincing others to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's not good. So I don't want you to get me wrong. Politics are certainly important. And if you're one of those, again, that just says, well, I don't care much about politics, I want to challenge you. Become more informed because we have been put in a place where we have so much opportunity to be informed, to, to go out and to vote and do things like that. We ought to do that. We ought to be good citizens. But we need to remember, too, that if we're a Christian, before we're citizens of a republic, we are citizens of a kingdom. Our primary allegiance is to that king. And we live first in submission to him, and then in submission to the governing authorities appointed over us. I'm going to bring us into the last song that we're going to sing together today with the last little part of Mark chapter 12, verse 17. You'd think that when Jesus kind of brings up this sticky topic like this, and he answers in the way that he answered, that there might ensue after this some kind of riot, some kind of political argument. They might want to stage some kind of debate or something like that. But after Jesus makes these comments about government and about God, verse 17 in Mark chapter 12 ends this way. It says... And they marveled at him. They marveled at him. In the end, the attention is on Jesus. And the people are marveling at him. We ought to pay attention to our government. We ought to pay attention to politics. We ought to be involved in all of that. We ought to be patriotic as Christians. If you sing the national anthem with gusto, go at it. If you get chills down your spine when you see members of the military standing in formation, that's great. But the majority of our marveling ought to be reserved for the one who truly deserves it. May we marvel regularly at the splendor of a king who is clothed in majesty. Because our, our desire is that all the world would together join us as we sing to him. How great is our God? That's what we want to magnify. We live in a great country with many great people who serve us in so many great ways, and we are so thankful. But in the end, what we marvel at, even more than that, is we marvel at the greatness of our God. That's what we want to be, that's what we want to do as a church, and then everything will kind of fall into line under that. So if the worship team could come up and prepare to lead us in singing that closing song, about how great our God is. Let's pray together as they're getting ready. God, we do believe 
that as we turn our eyes to you, that some of the things that we saw as so important, even so beautiful, even so good, some of the things that we saw as so challenging start to fade in all of that when we compare it with your greatness, with your beauty, with, with the good, good reign of King Jesus over all nations. God, we want to see you come and reign in us. We know that you're the king. We want to submit ourselves, first of all, and mostly to you. God, we thank you for the way that you've established authority underneath your authority and given us human government. And we know it's imperfect, and we lift up those that are leading, that they would make wise decisions that bring honor and glory to your name. God, in the end, it is our desire that we would be a church that is not just molded by God's word in everything that we do, but that we would also be motivated by God's glory to go out and make disciples in God's world. That we would be more concerned about winning people over to Christ than we would about winning people over to our political party. God, we are so thankful that you have given us Jesus, and we want to marvel at him throughout this week. We want to marvel at him even as we sing this closing song together. Help us to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.